another world, another time in the age of wonder. You are listening to Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone. This is what I came for. Your vital essence, the dark crystal. I can feel something. Hear it almost. Don't move. Don't move? Where would I go? Quiet! Here's your host, Philip Mitchell. Hello and welcome to Trial by Stone and this is episode 54 of the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Mitchell. I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in to Trial by Stone. And um, as we continue chatting about all things Star Crystal, um, and this is sort of the last episode, you know, for this month of April, um, as for this month, I actually decided to re- release four episodes of Trial by Stone uh, for April instead of the usual one, one episode a month that I usually do. So it is probably something I'm going to revert back to just for a little bit of time as I uh, keep, you know, things going with the podcast. And uh, I mean, definitely have a lot of plans happening at the moment, which is uh, very exciting. And also, I just want to let you know that, I mean, we do have a Patreon for the podcast. So if you're interested in supporting the show, you can do so at, at patreon.com forward slash Dark Crystal Podcast. And for just a dollar a month, you can uh, you can get early access to the episodes of Trial by Stone, the, the Dark Crystal Minute, and the Gathering Songs. So, which is all very exciting. And of course, I mean, those shows will always be remain free on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podbean, or wherever you can get your podcasts at. It's just if you want early access to those shows, uh, be ahead of everyone and join the Patreon community, and um, that'd be awesome. And also, like, I'll release updates post updates on the podcast as well so yeah no, which is very awesome and um and so i guess for this episode i got a chance to chat to philip kennedy johnson who uh helped uh, co-wrote the comic book um of the power of the dark crystal which of course was based on the feature film that unfortunately uh, was cancelled uh but the jim henson company sort of desired sort of decided to to bring to bring it back um in as a comic book for a 12 part for a 12 issue uh series which was uh which was great and um you know it recently wrapped up in march um and i think it was it was cool and i think after that i wanted to get in contact with philip about the comic books and now he was it was awesome to chat to and of course i had a lot of questions to ask him on the show um, that I'm sure that I think a lot of fans um, have in mind as well. And I think, you know, I mean, overall, with The Power of the Dark Crystal, I know there's been some controversy or, you know, some, you know, criticisms uh, for the for the comic. And I think, like, I mean, from my opinion of The Power of the Dark Crystal, like, overall, like, I, I enjoyed it for what it is. I think my main really issue uh, throughout the comic book series is, really to do with the um, bringing the, the Mystics and the Skeksis back. Um, it was just something that, that's just been like, you know, that, I mean, I can I can imagine it from, you know, from a filmmaking point of view, for, from a film producer's point of view, that you sort of had to bring those characters back, you know, for the sake of nostalgia, even though the biggest problem that had, even though the biggest problem with the Mystics and the Skeksis, bringing them back, into the power of the dark crystal is that their story really got wrapped up in the dark crystal so i kind of felt like 
you know, there wasn't, there's not much really any point bringing them back in the first place. Um, and that's something that always sort of bothered me with the Power of the Dark Crystal. So I know that was one of the topics I actually uh, chatted to Philip about. And I think you'll, you know, hear his take um, on, you know, why the Mystics and the Skeksis came back or how they came back uh, to the world of Thra, uh, which I actually kind of liked his theory, um, you know, with, with that. So, so I mean, and there was a couple of things, you know, not only that, but... Um, lots of other um, sort of discussions and sort of things that happen in the Power of the Dark Crystal. So, I mean, it is a spoiler warning. I'll, you know, let you know ahead. I, I do say, you know, on the interview part um, in just a moment, but I just want to let you know if you haven't read the Power of the Dark Crystal, I suggest um, actually giving it a read. Um, I know you can get those comics right now and um, check them out and, and come back to, you know, continue listening to the show. But I mean, if you're not too fussed about spoilers and, you know, feel free to continue listening um, to our discussion. And I think, you know, I think, I hope you enjoy our chat um, with myself and Philip Kennedy Johnson on The Power of the Dark Crystal. Uh, but yeah, like I said, overall, you know, I didn't mind it. I, I kind of liked the world, how it was all established. Like, I mean, I mean, there's still a lot of questions about um, how the Gelflings sort of all came back um, if... Jen and Kira were the last two Gelflings in the world. Um, I mean, there are sort of a lot of those sort of little questions, which, I mean, 100 years have passed, so I can kind of accept that whether they found other Gelflings in other parts of the land that weren't all uh, wiped out. But I think my biggest problem was just the Mystics and the Skeksis stuff. I think um, that was sort of my only really big problem with, with, the, um, with the Power of the Dark Crystal. But... With chatting to Philip, I think, um, you know, it sort of eased my mind a little bit. Like, I mean, but like, I, I enjoy things all Dark Crystal, you know, whether bad, whether, you know, I like it or, or I don't enjoy it. Um, even if the things that I don't enjoy, you know, I don't um, let it get to me too much. So let's just go to the Podling Village and chat to Philip Kennedy Johnson about the Power of the Dark Crystal. I hope you enjoy this episode and I know we've got a lot more comics to come. Uh, from Ikea with Jim Henson's Beneath the Dark Crystal, which is a new 12-issue series, which is coming out in July, so which is very exciting. So I know we'll definitely... So we'll definitely be covering that in the show. So I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, so I just want to say, uh, Philip, thank you so much for coming back on the show um, to chat about, you know, with Power the Dark Crystal. Uh, you know, I just want to say congratulations, um, you know, with the whole, you know, uh, comic book series being all wrapped up, um, which recently wrapped up um, back a couple of weeks ago all in, in early March, early to mid-March, so um, which is sort of cool to sort of get the full story of, um, you know, what, what was originally going to be a sequel uh, to Dark Crystal, the feature film. Um, and it was sort of cool that at least we got the chance to um, see it adapted into um, into the comic book format. Um, so I just want to say congratulations on, on wrapping, you know, with, with The Power of the Dark Crystal. Oh, thanks very much, man. Yeah, I'm, it's uh, It's been really exciting. And yeah, I've, it was a huge thrill to be on Power of the Dark Crystal and see it wrapped up and see some good fan reception. It's been, it's been great. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing I wanted to hear about. Yeah, like um, how, you, you know, how the responses have been, you know, for the overall series from fans. Yeah, I've heard a lot of really good things. Honestly, I haven't heard uh, haven't heard too much trash talk, which is a nice surprise. I, whenever there's a whenever there's a licensed book, um, a pre-existing character or world, there's always people with very strong opinions and you always expect to get a little bit of abuse. But, um, you know, I love this world as much as anyone. So I was I was not afraid of that you know like it's i'm sure other people had ways they would have liked it to go i mean even when i was a kid watching this movie for the first time i you know would kind of you know in my own you know kids games i would you know kind of fantasize about what might happen next you know um and i will have in mind what they wanted to happen and um when you're whenever your vision doesn't line up with somebody else's sometimes people get upset but honestly there was very little of that people seemed to be pretty appreciative and they were just for the most part, people seem to be very, you know, grateful to have another chance to play around in that world again. So I was, I was really appreciative for how the, how the fans took it. Yeah, that, that, that is awesome. Yeah. And I mean, especially like I've been always, whenever the issue, whenever each issue comes out, always um, look up on the reviews and all the reviews have always been, yeah, you know, really uh, positive uh, with the power of the dark crystal. So, uh, I mean, I mean, it's just great to see, you know, sort of those stories sort of being back with the dark crystal because um, I guess that's sort of one of the things is how, sort of how do you balance between writing stories, you know, for, you know, of a fandom where, you know, of course, with The Dark Crystal that the film, you know, was aimed, you know, for sort of, you know, young kids, um, probably, you know, the 10 to 15 year olds, but sort of, you know, balancing that out with, you know, having fans that, you know, that saw the film, you know, you know, 30 plus years ago, how do you sort of balance, um, you know, with the storytelling for, um target audience you know with the dark crystal i wasn't thinking too much about the age or leanings of the people who were going to be reading it as much as i did the original material and trying to stay true to that i mean i didn't want um you know i'm not gonna because it really i mean it really is a true sequel and i'm not gonna start with something like that and then make another one that's in a completely different tone um so yeah basically whenever i had a question about tone or language like how, like where I where I wanted the 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 tone to be, I would go back and rewatch part of the Dark Crystal, and this, especially with something like, you know, Jen and Kira had a very specific way of speaking, versus the way the Skeksis speak, versus the way Augra speaks. The, was all, all those three were very were very different, and um, I would just go back and listen to them. And Kensho and Therma, you know, speak a little differently than Jen and, and Kira, but for the, for as far as the um you know the age propriety and all that I kept it pretty much the same and you know Agra and the Skeksis I wanted to speak exactly the way they did originally not necessarily using the same words like I I didn't use I tried not to use the same exact catchphrases but um but it should those should still sound like the same characters speaking you know so for me the original film dictated the tone yeah okay yeah yeah I got you yeah. Um, and I mean, that, that's the thing, I guess, you know, with, with, with this episode that, um, you know, now that this comic book series are out, um, that of course, I've, you know, I think myself and quite a few fans have got a number of questions, um, that, you know, we'd love to know, you know, about with the power of the dark crystal. So, um, I guess in case of listeners, you know, if you haven't checked out, um, power of the dark crystal, it was, a, yeah, the 12, uh, issue, a comic book series from Arkea Entertainment, um, an imprint of boom studios so we're going to get into all those spoilers so if you haven't checked them out it's definitely worth um 
giving them a read and um, yeah, come back and yeah, as we sort of get deep into the conversation with um, the power of the dark crystal. So I guess like for, for me, like, you know, what, what I thought of it, I, you know, I, I liked it. Um, I think it was kind of cool to sort of revisit that world of Thra. I think it's interesting to see, you know, the Gelfling sort of um, being back or, you know, I don't know. Hey, I, I don't know. You, but uh, repopulated or, or whatnot. Um, and I think that's sort of, you know, part of the mystery, I guess, you know, especially with the Galflings, sort of how they came back to, um, you know, to, to Thra, whether like how, how the, how they were found by Jen and Kira, um, you know, thinking that they were all sort of, you know, all wiped out. So I, I kind of see the potential of like a, a little, you know, story that can take place between, uh, the Dark Crystal and the Power of the Dark Crystal. I know the big part of the story is uh, with Therma that overall that, you know, she she lives in this world, of, you know, with, with the firelings, these, you know, fire uh, galflings sort of hybrid creatures. And so, you know, she's led to understand that, you know, she needs to take uh, a piece of the Dark Crystal to save her world. And obviously, you know, she shatters it and, you know, all things sort of go chaos and the mystics and the Skeksis um, sort of came back. And I think one of the things that, you know, myself and sort of fans want to know about, I guess the reasoning for how they came back to Thra. Cause I know like in dark crystal law that I think in the, the first, the, the age of harmony uh, with the first great conjunction, the Erskics, you know, just appeared as themselves. And then, and then in the second great conjunction, you know, they tried to get back to their homeworld. Uh, but one of the characters uh, had too much darkness within them. So once that one Erskic was dark, no one could get through, you know, the crystal to get back to the homeworld. I think it was really interesting to see, you know, when in Power of the Dark Crystal, when the crystal shattered, um, that we saw the their split counterparts sort of appearing and not as Erskics. So... I just want to know if there was um, any sort of story about, you know, how they came back as mystics and Skeksis and not as Erskeks. Yeah, I, I have my thoughts on that. Um, so there, okay, I've got a couple answers to that. The, the truest one is one you, you might not like. And it's, that aspect of the story was in the original screenplay for Power of the Dark Crystal by Inna Duffy and um, David O'Dell. And that was written with Jim, with Jim Henson's oversight. So the, the baseline is that it's in there because Henson put it in there, basically. <laughs> Um, but I know that's not like a definitive answer because we like what I, what I mean by that is he never really seemed overly precious about his stuff, uh, about, and certainly not with rules and regulations. Um, he was, he was a rule breaker his whole life. I, honestly, I don't think he thought that much about the rules of why something like that would happen for him. It's all about just the, just the nature of wonder. That's a, such a, at the heart of what Thra is, you know, uh, for him, I, I doubt, I doubt Jim Henson himself was was overly concerned with the rules of like, well, here's the canons. How do we make this fit within the rules I've set? I just don't think he cared as much as people that have come since. But um, so, yeah, now, since it's canon now, it's left to us, the the fans, to figure out how it all works. And in my, uh, you know, my theory is, OK, so when the Erskex first came to Thra during the, the first great conjunction was the thing that allowed that to happen. Um, and when they when they met Agra, they told her that their world also had a crystal and that over the generations they had learned to harness its power and that when the stars literally aligned, the crystals, like our, like Thra's crystal reached out to them 
and the Earth's texts were drawn there by our crystal. Now, you know, later we found out that they were actually sent there, but it was still the uh, it was it was our crystal, it was the Thra's crystal that allowed that to happen. So there's some relationship between our crystal and the crystal of the Erskex home world. Also, we see throughout Thra's history, we see that the breaking of a crystal fundamentally changes its nature, right? And it becomes it becomes a different thing. Like the the crystal is the god of that world, and when you break it. It, it almost becomes like a like an opposite of itself. It becomes a completely different thing, arguably the opposite. And that change is reflected in all of Thra. Like whatever whatever changes occur in the crystal occur throughout Thra. I believe that if the crystal had been broken when the Urskex came through the first time, they would have come through I think they would have come through as mystics and Skeksis initially. The fact that they came through when the crystal was whole they retain their shape. But if they had come through when the crystal was already broken, I believe they would have come through and be, and been what they became later like when the, you know, when the thing was broken. That's just my, you know, we don't have anything to, to prove or disprove that because we're, you know, there's not, there's not really a rule book. Like we're all kind of, we're kind of figuring out everything out through the, the work that we see, but that's my thought. Um, also the idea that in um, breaking the crystal is a, hugely impactful act right like it completely basically changes changes god into like this anti-god and imagine the power that would that, that would create you know just the energy that would come from that and in all the urskax homeworld at the beginning of power that are crystal only the creatures who who came through before came across this time like presumably there are way more creatures there than than just the ones that we've seen, but of all the ones that have come, th that like the, you know originally there were eighteen, and now there's you know however many left. Only the ones who came through before came across this time, which means there's some kind of unbreakable bond now between those creatures and the crystal. Um, if those specific creatures came across again, and nobody else from that world did, there's a relationship there between them and the crystal that will always be there. So. I think it's plausible that putting the crystal through that kind of trauma, the kind of trauma that occurs when it's broken, could be enough of an event, similar to a, similar to a great conjunction, it could be a, a big enough event that those creatures could be drawn back here again. That's That was my thoughts of it. Yeah, yeah, I kind of like that. Um, yeah, I mean, ha had the crystal been, you know, broken, you know, like thousands of years ago, that just sort of creates a negative impact on the Urskex homeworld and you know as far as we know they're the only sort of two worlds that we know about with the dark crystal with Thra and the Urskex homeworld and and because of these Urskex the 18 that were you know, well you know that become the eight that they're the only ones that have sort of this deep connection to Thra um sort of like if something happens to Thra it's going to impact the Urskex homeworld and and therefore really to to those Urskeks that first uh, came to Thra. I think it was just one of those things where I think we probably, you know, I, I would have liked to, to sort of know sort of how exactly they sort of came back. And I think that's, that's a pretty, um, yeah, that's a pretty good explanation. Um, so yeah, which, which is really cool. It's cool to think about all these kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs>
I know it is. I, there's, um, and I, I'm sure you're going to ask too about the uh, the great conjunction that happens in this story. Yeah, I mean that that was sort of one of those things. I think when that happened in issue eleven, when that comic came out, there was a lot, a lot of discussion online about the great conjunction that actually happened in with the power of the dark crystal. Because I know that was sort of um, one of those things where you know it's an event that usually happens, you know, every thousand years so to see this i guess with the mystics you know because most of the most of the time you know in the comics they're just sort of chanting or you know singing and, and whatnot and they're not doing much and i think that must have been um you know the whole reason that they were doing that is so they can summon this great conjunction uh to happen a lot earlier than what it would usually be but yeah i mean i actually like to ask about how that sort of um idea sort of came about to to have this sort of great conjunction, you know, within, you know, a hundred years, um, after. Well, that one, that you can blame on me. (laughs) I, uh, the, uh, the other one was Jim Henson. Um, but the one, the one great conjunction that happens that was also in the original screenplay, but it, it was sort of explained, like it was sort of this big surprise where like Agra was completely dumbfounded. Like what? It wasn't like even Agra didn't know that it was coming. And all of a sudden the stars just aligned. And I, you know, I kind of threw my hand up and was like, this doesn't make any damn sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we can't do yeah. this. Uh, and, and they're like, well, it's in there. And I was like, okay, well we have to explain it some other way. And when I, this is when I first came aboard as the co-writer, I was like, okay, well it can't be a surprise. Like, I mean, she has this whole observatory. Like she, she charts all the known stars that, you know, like she's, she's on top of this. Oh yeah. Yeah. She can predict those things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no way she wouldn't know. So the only way that that would happen is if the mystics had a lot more clout than we give them credit for. And we already know, we already know that, well, like, okay, up till now, we've kind of seen them as these, you know, impotent little brothers to the Skeksis who never raise a finger and are philosoph- philosophically opposed to intervening in the the workings of Thra, like they just kind of they're they're observers but they don't interfere and then eventually our characters put pressure on them until you know the rebel of the group finally agrees like you're right you know our brothers the skexies are messing this place up so we also have the power to do something and we finally see how much power that they've always had that because remember these are like the Urskeks are presumably extremely powerful and like they have all this either either magic or technology or if it's, if it's the same thing by that point or what but they're much more capable than the character than the creatures of Thra so like they can like bend the cosmos and like travel through space and it's a it's a big deal and we when we see the Urskeks and the Mystics they don't or excuse me the uh, Skeksis and the Mystics they don't they don't seem to have any any memory. But we never find we never specifically say that they don't remember, but it's always it's never really touched on. So I thought it would be appropriate for this for the mystics to be Beth, and we realize up till now, like we 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 just see them as these these old guys that don't really do much. But I wanted to bring out like this this Yoda like <laughs> moment where they you you see what you know the kind of power they're really packing. And that would be so like they, they have the power to literally like reshape the cosmos and uh, and save this world. So that was my that was my solution for the uh, for that particular problem in the original story. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that was one of those things, whether, you know, the, the mystics, whether they had that power the whole time, you know, you know, when they were first, you know, you know, came, you know, split up on Thra, whether they had this power the whole time or whether, um, this was power that they just sort of, um, sort of conjured up, um, when they arrived, you know, to Thra, you know, with, during the events of, um, the power of the dark crystal. In my mind, they've always had it. Um, and they've, they've just been philosophically opposed. Like they're just so, they're so Zen that they, this, the question of using that power, like the Skeksis are all about like destruction and like leaving the greatest impact on the world they can just destroy and consume and just, you know, salt the earth. And the, uh, the mystics are the, just the exact opposite of that to the point where they, they, they don't want to leave a trace of their existence on the planet. You know, this is like the power of the dark crystal. If, if there is a big change, it's that they've like, they managed to con- like one of the characters convinced to uh, managed to convince one of them, you know, you have the power to undo or to at least help what's happening here. Like you're, you're really going to stand by and let this happen again. And one of them finally stands up and says, no, we won't, and convinces his brothers to go with them, and they finally, you know, do something. And you see, you see a hint of it earlier in the story when they bring out the, the moth dragon thing. Is uh, a creature from, that's a creature from their world that they kind of conjure up in time and space to come and, you know, they, they really, you know, one of our characters is in a jam and it's not going to, you know, this, this is going to fail unless they have something and they bring out this thing just in the nick of time. And then they, they do that on a much bigger scale for the ending. I mean, that was one of those, um, you know, things like, you know, had they known, had this power the whole time, then I know, I think fans might be like, oh, why didn't they just speed up the Great Conjunction when they could, I guess, you know, between the second and the third. But I guess the problem back then was, well, they didn't have the shard for it to sort of, you know, to make it work that, okay, we got the shard, we can speed up the time to <laughs> to um, get this thing sorted. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it, is, it is frustrating to think about because, you know, they could have done it, but they, it's just not who and what they are, you know. I mean, there's, actually, there's actually a similar moment in, um, well, not exactly similar moment, but in The, in the Last Jedi, there's a, uh, a deleted scene where um, Luke tells um, Rey that, like, have you heard about this? Have you heard about the deleted scene in The Last Jedi? Is this about the uh, the caretakers getting going to the village? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another thing where, like, the, a Jedi would obviously have the power to save the caretakers, but Luke convinces that, convinces Rey that a Jedi would not interfere. Like that's, a, that's against the, that's not the Jedi way. And that's frustrating to think about because you know, you've got the power to do this thing and, you know, you're supposed to be the good guy. So why not? But it's, uh, it's just not, you know, that's just a sort of a human way to look at it where the, the mystics are this other thing that um, are the embodiment of peace and tranquility and not interfering. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's actually an interesting comparison. Yeah, com- yeah, with the you know the mystics are yeah almost like the the Jedi Knights in a way. And I know a lot of people have been making those uh, theories with um with Ray and Kylo Ren how sort of you know balancing the light and the dark is sort of um sort of you know the similarities between that and and the dark crystal. Um, you know the idea of you know um having you know with the mystics and the Skeksis to sort of um combine you know to be as one with the Earth Skeks. Um. 
which I, I find that all, yeah, really um, interesting. Um, and so I guess like, I mean, one of the things in, you know, with Power of the Dark Crystal is, you know, at this time that the, the crystal is, um, is, is fading. And so I think all, all the sort of Gelflings are sort of being really concerned about, you know, that this crystal is fading and they're trying to think of ways to sort of keep the crystal sort of alive. And I think that's when they sort of thought about, you know, that making offerings to the crystal would be a way for the crystal to, to be bright, which I know that sort of doing that sort of caused problems with Thermos Homeworld, um, that the offerings were sort of, you know, at, at the end, you know, were blocking the crystal shaft, which blocked the crystal's light to the inner sun. And because of that, that, that their sun was dying, being cold. I, I guess, you know, with the whole crystal uh, uh, fading, what was causing the crystal to fade in the first place? I mean, had they didn't do anything about the offerings and all that kind of stuff, would the crystal just sort of been broken down the track? Um, no, if they, if the events of the book had not happened, if Therma had not made it to the castle, the crystal would have continued to fade. Basically, basically what is happening is like consider, so, you know, the whole thing is about heart and mind and letting, you know, when, um, when the mind fails, you listen to the heart, both are parts of the whole and all of that. In my mind, the crystal shaft represents blood flow between heart and, and brain. And it's, it's getting choked off and the brain is dying. And eventually when the brain dies, the heart will die as well. So like blocking up that shaft will kill them both, yes. Um, and if, if Therma had never made it to the castle, the crystal would have continued to fade. The, the, I mean, the, we're already seeing the inner sun fading. It's basically dead already. And then the, the, crystal, the crystal would die after that as well. It's like a symbiotic relationship that both need. So if, yeah, so in my mind, if, they, if Therma had not made it, both worlds would have died and the crystal would have remained dead until the next naturally occurring great conjunction, presumably. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, and I guess, like, I mean, that was the thing that sort of the overall theme with power is sort of greed in a way. So, like, ha- had they didn't think about doing the offerings, that basically that the world would have run all right with, you know, no problems if they didn't do the offerings in the first place. Yeah, no, that's that's it. Like, you you, you asked if the if the theme... So you're at, okay, you're asking if the theme of the whole thing is greed, basically? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's one of them. Like the, the themes, of, there are, I guess there are several themes. I mean, one being the joining of mind and heart and the idea that they're both part of this, you know, you need them both and, you know, don't trust one over the other, but you need them both. And the idea of unity and def- definitely of the destructive nature of greed, uh, even when unintended. Like the mind and heart thing, there are obvious parallels between mind and heart and also between Thra and Mithra, the inner world. At first, you think that at the very beginning, it seems like you're, uh, our characters are having to choose between saving one world or saving another. But in the end, you realize, no, it's both. Like, there, there are not two worlds. It's really just one. And we can't without saving both. Um, so that's the, the that yin and yang thing is definitely the, you know, the, un, the underlying theme of the entire thing. But greed is definitely a huge thing. Um, in the end, we learn that you know, the crystalline, the crystalline eminence and probably his predecessors are essentially to blame for everything that's happened. I mean, I don't, I don't think he ever intended to kill another world 
or bring back the Skeksis or any of that thing, but because of his greed, that's that was the end result. Um, so that's a huge point. Because I guess they were thinking that that sort of that would you know solve the issues about with the crystal fading in the first place. That you know let's let's put more offers, more offers, you know, and hope that the crystal will you know appreciate that. Whereas at the end it was sort of yeah it was something that they didn't need it to do at all. But you know I could understand that with the Galflings in a way that the crystal eminence that sort of like you know this is there's something is bad happening that they're you know trying to you know to do something about it um but just unfortunately just sort of did it the wrong way i guess at the at the end of the day yeah yeah like i mean in a way you could say that that you could you could dig deeper into that theme and say that the the commercialization of religion is the bad guy in this like it's like if we had if we had seen if we had seen like over the years, this has been a hundred years since the last one. And again, I, I think that the crystal is basically, it represents God for the world of Thra. You could just imagine all these young Gelflings kind of learning about, learning crystal lore from Agra um, at the foot of the crystal itself. And then over the generations, you start to see, you know, it's different. Like now there's guards outside the doors and now there's a guy with a big fancy hat that is expecting payment to get in and suddenly there's this big pile of money at the base of this god and that's when everything starts to go that's when everything starts to literally go dark you know so it's a very pretty pretty thinly veiled jab at uh the uh you know the money aspect of religion and i guess i mean one of the other things i sort of wanted to to chat about i think we we're chatting about the crystal eminence and i know there was sort of um i think in issue 10 when the crystal eminence was getting drained from the essence um, from uh, Skekung. And he sort of saw, I think, Skekna in um, issue eight. I think he uh, was draining a podling as well in, in the Power of the Dark Crystal. I know one of the questions sort of, sort of fans just sort of wanted to know of how... So in the film, you had to look into the beams that was um, captured from the Dark Crystal through the reflector. And however, I know at this, you know, this time, like the offerings are sort of blocking the crystal shaft to capture the beams. So I guess, you know, wanted to know how the beams was able to go through, you know, the shaft into reflector, you know, if the offerings was, you know, completely blocked or was it something that was sort of, you know, there was sort of a little bit of an opening to, for the light to get through to, to drain, you know, the crystal eminence. Yeah. I think there were some, some off screen things happening that allowed that to happen. I know. I mean, we didn't, we didn't see the ritual master tinkering with the castle or, putting up mirrors or knocking holes in the wall or ceiling to make the old gear work again. But I think that must've been happening at some point. Like there, there are some things that like any story that would be nice to see that, that we have to leave out for reasons, for reasons of page count and flow and pacing and all that. So rather than show, like we know we need, we knew that we needed the, um, the drainer to work and we know we, we knew that, you know, but we didn't really, we didn't feel the need to show the, the hammer nail moments where they're actually like, you know, like, so it's, um, keeping, I'm just, uh, accept on faith <laughs> that there, there were some things happening off screen that, 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 that allowed the old stuff, like what, well, they're getting their old gear to work again. Yeah. I get you. Yeah. I was just, yeah, I was just really, yeah. Uh, curious about that. Um, you know, cause I mean, we, yeah, we, we, yeah. With the offerings being blocked and, but then, you know, how, ha- ha- but then had they knocked, part of the the offerings to you know to get the beam of light coming through then would everything have fallen down you know into the fire with the offerings and 
sorted itself out or right no i get that yeah it's, yeah totally i uh like later on i think i saw that and i was like huh now i is that the same shaft because we never really we don't see much of the shaft in the film and i i came to like throughout the, the course of writing the series i i came to think of the shaft as this this well like this round well that went all the way down to the center of the earth basically with no with nothing on the sides but then i at some point i realized oh i guess this, i i guess that's the same shaft from the film it's just it goes so much deeper that you never really see bottom but yeah there's there, there he would have the um the ritual master would have had to find another way around so like by not you know like mirrors in the walls or whatever yeah <laughs> that, that, that's cool yeah yeah and i'm just trying to think like i, I guess um you know, what one of the big things that sort of happened, you know, towards the end is uh, with Therma, you know, she, she grabs that shard out of the offerings that sort of unblocked, her, you know, the the offerings and sort of, you know, all got destroyed. And hence that was sort of, um, you know, for, uh, for Therma to be able to put the shard back into the place. And that, like you said about, you know, these two worlds, well, they're actually one world, both their worlds in a way sort of had problems. And, um, I know it was one of those things, I mean, you know, seeing the, the mystics and the Skeksis, they sort of reuniting at the end, how um, I think it was one of those things where, you know, in, in the film that they were pretty, the mystics and the Skeksis were sort of lined up to where they sort of needed to be to, you know, to be able to form into the, into the Earth Skeks. And um, I guess is this sort of like another sort of off-screen moment about how they sort of reunited at the end? Because I know, for example... They were all pretty close to each other, except for the for the Chamberlain, who was pretty, you know, far away from the castle. Far, you know, a little bit far away from the castle of crystal uh, when that happened. Yeah. Well, the the Chamberlain was obliterated, so he he doesn't uh, he wasn't he wasn't invited to that particular party. So he was when the crystal broke and fired into the the inner sun. The Chamberlain gets in the way, and he's he's annihilated. So he's gone. So his twin his twin is also is also uh, atomized. Uh, okay. uh, everyone else yeah, I sort yeah. of imagine I imagine everyone else is being sort of magnetically pulled to one another like the two halves of each of everyone else would be drawn together almost unstoppably you know like they're just they'd be they'd be pulled together with you know without any control over it and I guess you know that I mean that sort of comes to like with you know the story with um Jen and Kira that the whole world got all sorted and um Jen and Kira go and um, they actually join with the Skeks to go back with them. And sort of as they sort of say that, you know, that they're old and I think um, just need to, you know, to pass on to, you know, to new Gelflings to sort of take over their place. And to me, it sort of reminded me a little bit of sort of the close encounters of the third kind or um, sort of like the Lord of the Rings, you know, the Grey Havens sort of vibe that I sort of got from, you know, reading that little little part. They're... they're, they're you know, I get. I'm. I'm presuming that they've sort of gone with the Erskex to go to their homeworld, or, or do you think that they're sort of gone to sort of you know the afterlife, uh, so to speak, uh, with Jen and Kira? Um, I think they leave it up to us to decide, and I think that was mm. very intentional. I think it's very clearly treated in a similar way to the Grey Havens, like you said, in Middle Earth. It's. Um, I mean, it's technically this other continent, but I mean, or you know island at least but it's it's it really represents death you know it, it represents an afterlife but it's i don't think it's as as uh, 
as clear as either one. It's uh, I think it would be if we were to see what it actually was. I think it would sort of be I think it would sort of be both. It would sort of be an alien world. It would sort of be an afterlife. But it would and I think it would really blow our minds and not really be either one. If we could really see what it was, I think it would be better than that. Um, I think there was a book called Blood Mat Blood Mat uh, Blood Music. If I remember right, I can't remember who wrote it. Uh, an old sci-fi book. Um, um, but it's basically the uh, emergence of this new microscopic form of life that sort of kind of absorbs all life on Earth and becomes its own thing and it eventually goes off to its own world. But it doesn't travel through space. It goes inside of itself. Like It basically disappears. Like rather than going out to find, find the next thing, it, uh, the, the life form retreats inward into its own cells. I mean, you know how, like, if, if you look at an, you know, at a, you know, an atom or a molecule, like it, it has, it has sort of a solar system kind of look to it as you get bigger and bigger and see a solar system and then a, a galaxy and it just, everything tends to have a similar kind of form to it, you know, like it, like they, as you get bigger, bigger scale, you, you tend to see similar patterns that you see in small, like in the, you see in the macro, what you see in the micro is what I'm trying to say. I mean, in a, I had a, I kind of adopted a sort of vision of this world in which, you know, okay, at the end of the first movie, they disappear. It kind of looks like they're vanishing into the crystal, even though they're not really. Like they, they kind of flow upward. If you weren't paying attention, you might think that they actually went into the crystal itself. And I, I kind of tend to think of it in those terms. Like I theorized, well, what if the world that the Earthskeck came from that we think is actually this other solar system the way that we know the galaxy to be what if it's actually inside the crystal itself like what if they came from a world that is inside the crystal and so i guess in my in the spiritual way i guess i sort of th thought about all of them going inside the crystal in a way to this other world but it's it's such a nebulous it's really hard to put a finger on it's hard to explain um where i think they're going because i remain a little bit mis sorry that was a super over the place answer oh no that, that that was that was great yeah but uh, it's it's uh that's kind of the way i think about it i think about um about the Erskex world as being inside the crystal even though they the crystal is the the door you know, that they that they use to get to their home essentially and the, the fact that jen, jen and carol go with them i don't know if they literally went with them to where to their to where the Earthkex were going, or if they went, if they were just leaving through the crystal to go to their own destination. But um, I think it's just this spiritual thing that we're not meant to really understand. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's sort of open, open to interpretation, um, and and sort of same like I mean with with the Earthkex about um, you know people sort of being comparing these Earthkex now, you know, with the power to be they're almost a bit like more like angels, I guess, you know, than aliens. Um, but I mean, that's sort of been an interesting thing, yeah. You know, if the Earthskex, yeah, if the the crystal was really, you know, their homeworld, you know, inside, and it's not to another, you know, other planet. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's I think they're both. You know, I think they they're aliens, but they're. I mean, again, in creation myths, if you refer to that to those books, they served a very angelic function. Like when the Earthskex came to Thra through the crystal of the great conjunction, they then took, they then spent like generations kind of guiding the Gelfling and like teaching them, like giving them their, 
they're passing on their culture to them and their technology to some degree. And they helped the, the Gelfling thrive and they sort of taught them how to how to live. I mean, a very kind of, I don't know, like they, they served kind of an angelic purpose, I guess. So I, yeah, I think they, they're, the idea of technology and magic and mysticism is all kind of the same thing with regards to them. So I, I say they're, I'd say they're, they're both basically. No, which is cool. And I guess like, I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to back, backtrack a little bit. Um, I think one of the things I sort of liked with Power of the Dark Crystal, I know that there was this dream fasting sequence and we sort of got to learn about these two characters, uh, I think Chal and, and Saluna, you know, and I guess I'm sort of interested about, you know, that sort of, sort of backstory. Um, I know, because I guess, I mean, one of the things is, you know, you know, where exactly that takes place, the story between those two Gelflings, whoever takes place before the Earthskex arrives for the first time or whether during, you know, you know the 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 yeah, the division between the mystics and skexies yeah i um i guess i regarded all that as happening before the age of resistance when there were when there were gelfling tribes not it would have I, I mean i think it would have had to have been after the urskex came because before that there wasn't all that much to the gelfling yeah true it's, it was they were yeah. pretty pretty prim, pretty primitive i mean augur had already kind of been shepherding them but when when the Urskex came, that's when the Gelfling really kind of leveled up, and um, and became like the, the, fact the that there seven were all these tribes. tribes yeah. By yeah. then, exactly. I think it. I think it would have had to have happened between between those two times, somewhere before the Age of Resistance started up. And and so, like based on what you know with their story, that those two characters were running away from the Gelflings, and Chal is from the Dowson tribe, and. Um, and it was something to do with, you know, he lost his right for peace, um, for being in love with, with Saluna, um, who's described as a, as a barbarian. Um, you know, it, it, I'm, it's just sort of, sort of because she's from a different clan, you know, that's sort of that, I don't know, trying to compare that, you know, to like a sort of Romeo and Juliet kind of thing that, um, Chal's from the Dowson and Saluna's from, you know, a different clan and they can't, you know, sort of be together, um, that sort of thing. I'm just, yeah, really curious about what, um, what clan is, uh, Saluna, uh, from, cause you know, the, these two Gelflings are sort of running away from the other Gelflings. I was trying to work out like why they were sort of running away, you know, Chal and Saluna were running away. Yeah. Forgive me. The, um, the names of the tribes kind of escaped me. We, we were careful not to, uh, definitively name the tribes, but, there was, I had a very clear one in mind for both of them. I forget their names offhand. I know the, um, they, um, let's see, well, see, Chal's, Chal's tribe is named in the book, right? Yeah, Dowson, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. The other and one, I know Saloon, I, and, and, yeah. I forget which tribe we settled on for her. Um, I'm sorry. Because yeah, I, I know, know, like, uh, she was... D- Oh, that's all right. Because I know, like, she was just described as a as a barbarian. Um, right. And that's why I was just really well, that, curious about, you know. Yeah, that was only from the that was only from the Dowson perspective, and the other, like, I'm sure Saluna's um, tribe would have regarded Chow as the same. Like, they were. That was just a more reflection on the perception of each tribe of the other. Um, yeah, I mean, we went through so many different variations on the two on the on the, on the couple, like who they were going to be representing and all that. 
Um, at some point, we talked about introducing a new tribe and all that, but we ended up sticking with the ones that were that were already established. Um, but I, I apologize. We went, there were so many different versions. I forget which one that we settled on. But we it is in the notes. Like there is an answer. Ah, um, uh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I apologize. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, that's all right. No, I, yeah, yeah. I was just really curious about yeah, just just what clan um, she was from, and yeah, it was just an interesting sort of um, I guess a love story. I guess you know between them two sort of running away. And I guess, was that sort of something that, you know, sort of, you know, the parallels to, to Therma and Kensho? Yeah, for sure. Like it, it was, yeah, there was meant to be a very strong parallel with, cause I mean, Kensho starts out a pretty, pretty humble character. I mean, he's a kind of a, kind of the help at the castle, the crystal castle and um, pretty meek and um, kind of like his life is kind of out of his control. He sort of just gets pushed around, not pushed around, but, you know, you used by the crystalline eminence and his people and there's not much to him, presumably. And Chal is regarded as this legendary explorer from, from back in the day, kind of this Christopher Columbus type um, guy that made a big impact on the world and settled all these different places and had been everywhere and seen everything. You know, later on, we see that the two of them actually have much more in common than they realize, you know, Kensho is going on this big, amazing quest to the very center of the world and you know they eventually realized that Chal also had this kind of forbidden love that he you know the reason he was this amazing traveler is because he was you know largely on the run or at least that's what kind of started the whole thing was he left his tribe to be with the, with this woman so yeah there were very clear parallels and by the end the two of them have almost become those other two you know like they're they've become their the legends of their own time you know, they set off to have their own adventures by the end. Yeah. And it sort of reminded me just of another sort of little love story that sort of occurred. I think, uh, I know, I think this was before you were on, um, we powered that crystal, I think it was issue four and, um, uh, about the, the fire and the ice sort of, um, creatures, um, you know, in, in the spirit times, our, you know, I mean that, that whole story was sort of setting up the, you know, the pools of tear tears that, that was sort of, you know, the one place that they could be together, which I kind of, yeah, which I kind of liked that. I thought that was kind of nice. Um, and, um, again, it's sort of another sort of fascination with, you know, with that particular story, whether, you know, if that actually occurred, you know, before, before the Gelflings or, um, stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, uh, this was a ton of fun to work on and like all those, all those little, it was cool to add so much more depth. I mean, I, I really like the original film and, um, it, it plants, all these seeds that were later blown up into bigger things like reading getting to read the original screenplay for the sequel that would have been and then reading my co-writer Cy Spurrier's reading his outlines for how he fleshed it out even further for the series um it was just really exciting to get to make that whole world bigger you know because I mean the original story is a pretty the original movie was a pretty basic hero's journey kind of thing and to see so much world building grow upon, like build on that, it was just really, really exciting to see all this behind the scenes stuff and get to contribute to it. And I guess, you know, like with, with the power of the dark crystal, like what was sort of like one of the sort of the biggest changes that all like things that you're able to, to expand upon with, um, with writing the, the comic series, you know, using notes from the film and from Cy, from Psy. Uh, what was sort of your um, one of the sort of biggest sort of 
contributions, you know, to the comic um, with with the power of the dark crystal. Well, the most the most impactful one for sure was the um, the great conjunction that comes in towards the end. I mean, that was that was already part of the story, but attributing it to the mystics, uh, deciding deciding right, pretty much right when I came on board, deciding that that should be the mystics doing was probably the most impactful thing because now it, it establishes how powerful the mystics can be, you know, if they, if they're enticed to do so, you know, like uh, they're just such peaceful, tranquil creatures that you, it's never really been a thing up until now, but when pushed hard enough and convinced that it's the right thing, they can do this amazing thing. So that was a, that was a big deal. Let's see another contribution to see if you remember early on, Therma is kind of running through Oh shoot! What's what's the name of the um, like the mud creatures? Like the uh, the blight. The, she's she's going through the forest, and the blight has pretty well ruined that whole area. And she gets deeper and deeper into it. The way that all ended up going down, there were a few that that started out as a less a less impressive fight, less less impressive uh, face off, I guess, than it became. And at, at one point, I actually had a version of it where she's where she's facing the blight itself. Like the, it's sort of like a, an embodiment of the blight, like it is the blight. And um, it sort of personifies. And that was a very different take. And I knew it was kind of a, kind of a risk to, to do it that way, kind of making it a, like a, almost like a demigod. Um, and in the end, we, we decided, that we, we talked it over a lot, we ended up changing it back to a physical thing um, but that that scene went through some different iterations. The blight. I don't remember if the blight was part of the original screenplay or if that's something that Psy. I think Psy might have introduced that concept. And then I um, I tried to take it about three steps further, and then ended up backtracking a little bit and making it this. You know, the thing that she ends up facing was an actual creature in the forest the blight is sort of like it's kind of like a blight zombie where it had, it had uh, absorbed this other this giant thing and made it into um its own little zombie basically um and i when i was coming up with the concept for that thing i, I went through a lot of brian froud's artwork um not necessarily pens and stuff just, just his fancy illustrations to find ideas for different things and at some point i found what I you know, some things I really liked, things I wanted to use in the forest, and I sent those pictures to uh, Kelly and Nicole, the artists, and it's like this is what we need right here. Like let's, because we had opportunities to introduce a lot of new, a lot of wildlife that we had not seen yet to this world, but it was it was very important that it all looked like Brian Froud's work. Because I mean, I think the thing oh, more than any other thing, the thing that makes the original Dark Crystal film so distinct is the, the visual style of it. Like it just looks so distinct. I mean, you can look at any one panel from, or when any one screenshot of that whole movie and know what you're looking at. You know, it's just so distinct. And Labyrinth is the same way. Yeah, it has its own yeah unique style. Yeah, and and that's the thing. You know, I I really love I guess you know the visual medium with with the Dark Crystal, especially like with comics. Um, you know, seeing you know seen the characters and and i really liked um you know the work that the um kelly and nicole matthews um what the what they did um with power of the dark crystal uh yeah so sort of their approach to um with doing the art for for the comics yeah yeah totally they nailed it i really love what they did with it like when i when i first 
started seeing that when I saw the first bit I saw of issue one, I was surprised by how lush the colors were. I was like, oh, wow, this isn't what I expected at all. Because the, from the original, it's a little looking. But that was that was a world in which the Skeksis had been ascendant for a long time. And um, it was actually kind of refreshing to see the same sort of imagery, but in this new, like, lush, like, blue and purple kind of landscape that we hadn't seen before. And um, and then as as we go, as we follow Kensho and Therma into Mithra, we see a whole other side of that. And you see it become, you know, we see the forest and you start to see it get kind of bleak, more like the original film and swampy. And then we see Mithra itself. And it was really cool to see so much more of Thra ex, uh, expressed visually. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was just really interesting. Yeah, the addition with, you know, with the filings and sort of this, you know, this extra world that um, with Mithra, which I mean, that that was, I mean, that was sort of an, a neat sort of um, reference to, I think that was sort of the original name of what Thra was going to be called, I think in the very early drafts of the Dark Crystal. So it was kind of cool to see, you know, that name sort of um, used for, you know, the world, for, you know, for the world un- under Thra, so to speak. So I thought that, that was, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So yeah, I, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up, but I just want to say, uh, Philip, uh, thank you so much for joining um, on this episode of Trial by Stone. Um, thanks for, you know, all, all, all the answers that you, you know, I gave you questions for with Pound the Dark Crystal. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, I, I really liked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, um, you know, it just, it just makes me think more about, you know, the world and, you know, and, you know, thinking about all these, you know, little things that, you know, could happen between certain events and it's, yeah, it's just a very sort of, it was a very interesting era, um, with, with the Dark Crystal. So yeah, thank you so much. Oh man, my pleasure. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I, I love talking to people who have such a deep knowledge of this world and um, such a great appreciation for it. So it's always a pleasure to talk to you. No worries. And um, and how can the listeners uh, find more about your, your work? Um, what's the best place they can um, track you down? Oh, you find me on philipkennedyjohnson.com. It's Philip with two L's. I'm also on Twitter at philipkjohnson.com and at, uh, at Facebook with, under my full name. Excellent. Yeah, and I'll definitely put those in the show notes. So thank you very much. Yeah. All right, brother. Thanks so much. You've already taken too long, Delfling. Hurry! At last, the crystal calls. It is time. Time to return to the castle. The crystal calls! To the crystal chamber! Now that's all the time I have for this episode of Trial by Stone. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. You can check us out on Twitter at darkcrystalpod. We're also on Instagram at darkcrystalpodcast. We also have a Patreon campaign happening with the podcast. You can check that out at patreon.com forward slash dark crystal podcast and if you can give us a review on facebook or on itunes that'd be greatly appreciated i hope you all enjoyed the show and come back next time for more trial by stone